Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs, sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice. of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your host jane and we're your favorite podcast all but the books of rick riordan today we're continuing the sort of summer how are you doing today janey uh i'm doing all right thank you uh you sound like you need to clear your throat a little bit hello hi hello there we go we've refreshed jacqueline anyway i'm good i'm tired as ever but I finished building a gunpla today, so that's something. That's awesome. Which which gunpla did you do? Uh, I was building the uh, Zowart Heavy from uh, The Witch from Mercury, which is a, a cool design in that show when it's being very evil, and also uh, was designed by someone who worked on the Armored Core games, and Ooh. I'm still very Armored Core-pilled, so I think it is appealing. You have all sorts of opinions right now about, I think there's someone named Michigan? I don't uh. know. <laughs> you're you're getting really into war profiteering is that what happens in that game it's a, it's a lot of that yeah we'll, we'll get there there's an arc and when we get to season two of iron blooded orphans of the bonus show there's an arc where a character basically gets stuck in armored core for like four episodes and it sucks oh awesome okay <laughs> how are you jacqueline well i'm okay uh, I got my double, my new, my, my, my new booster yesterday, and also a, a, a flu shot, so I'm feeling the effects a little bit, but I'm good. Uh, we have news. We have news? We have news. There's a new Rick Riordan book coming out next year. Oh, fuck, yeah. Uh, Percy Jack, the, the th- second or third? I, I heard talk of, like, a new Percy Jackson and the Olympians trilogy, and I don't think that's how that works, but... So, this is going to be Percy Jackson and the Triple Goddess. Oh, yes, yes. And you you were telling me at length about, like, how this calls back to a lot of exceptionally insane, like, pagan Tumblr posts. I, well, so this is my own experience, but it calls back to a long history of a lot of things. I'm sure we'll get into it. We'll get there, eventually. We'll we'll get there in a fucking... Every single year, it seems like he's writing a new book, and that's just extending our podcast more and more. Yeah, thank you for the content, Rick. Thank you for the content, for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you, we'll catch up to you in, I think, 2027. Uh, <laughs> but for now, we might as well focus on where we're at. Shall I get right into the summaries? Let's go. All right. Chapter 19. Do not call me Beantown. Like, ever. 
It's battling time as all the warriors of Valhalla enter the battlefield, piling in with their weapons and armor, and all looking to give Magnus a good hazing. He sticks it out with his helmets at first, running through the complete bloodbath. People are getting killed left and right and laughing all the way through it. TJ urges them to take the hill, but on the way, Magnus has to watch everybody else in his group get brutally murdered. He makes it to the hill's crest alone, and when he's completely surrounded by Inheryar, he lets loose the burst of energy that knocks away everyone's weapons. He's still a newbie to the whole battling to the death thing though, and after the initial shock, a warrior wearing an eye patch swiftly picks up and throws an axe right into his head. Chapter 20. Come to the dark side, we have Pop-Tarts. Well, Magnus is dead. The dude in the Red Sox jersey, who Magnus has quickly pegged as Loki, is here to talk to him again, sitting right upon Odin's throne. Of course, he's not actually here. His truest form is being tortured eternally, but he can still send out pieces of his being to cause mischief around the realms. Plus, if he was actually sitting on Odin's real throne and not an illusion throne, he'd end up like Magnus's dad. Frey himself once sat upon it, committing the highest of crimes and was cursed to see what he most desired, ruining his life completely. After that happened, Frey gave the Sword of Summer away to Skirnir, whose descendant Uncle Randolph had mentioned was the guy who died in a shipwreck looking for the sword. And eventually that sword will end up in Surt's hands at Ragnarok, where the giant will use it to kill Frey. Now that Surt's got Summerbrander, he's planning to hasten Doomsday by releasing the Wolf, Loki's son, in eight days unless he's stopped. Now, Loki's not one to end conversations on a command, but he does pose a question for Magnus to consider. When he one day sits on Odin's throne, as will inevitably happen, will he make the same ruinous choice as his father? The dream then shifts. The throne is set aflame and Surt's eyes appear over the throne. He says that although the wolf thinks Magnus could be useful, he himself disagrees and will give Magnus a painful and eternal death. Magnus wakes up in shock and hurries over to the door when he starts to hear a knockin'. It's Valkyrie Captain Ganella, surprised to see he's revived so quickly, and she offers him a tour of the hotel so they can actually have a discussion. Chapter 21. Ganella gets blowtorched and it's not funny. Okay, it's a little bit funny. Valhalla is super labyrinthine, to the point that Ganella needs to use GPS, and when they accidentally stumble into a door to Muspelheim in the realm of fire, Magnus instinctively heals her burnt arm. She speculates this healing ability is because Frey is a god of vitality, and that Magnus's resistance to temperatures is because Frey is the god of moderate climates, you know, the middle ground. Uh, now, she can only speculate here because kids of Frey don't tend to come to Valhalla. Back in the day, the gods were firmly divided into the Aesir, war gods like Odin and Thor, and the Vanir, nature gods like Frey and Freya, who only stopped battling to unite against the common threat of the giants. They've now joined together to a degree, but the Vanir still have their own separate domains, including Folkvanger, uh, Freya's Hall of the Slain for Vanir's children. Magnus immediately wonders if his mom could be there. Ganilla's theory is that Samira brought him to Valhalla instead to intentionally screw with the way of things and set off a series of events that would hasten Ragnarok, but hey, wouldn't it be better if Ragnarok came sooner so the Inheryar could do their duty? Well, Ganilla continues the tour to show him that there still aren't enough weapons and armor for them to actually win, and then finally leads him to her favorite spot, a balcony where you can see the whole of Asgard and the immensity of the universe. But Asgard's a bit… empty. Two years ago, the barriers between worlds began to weaken. This is when the gods began to disappear. This is when Odin disappeared after choosing Sam as a new Valkyrie. This is when Magnus' mom was killed. Ganilla says that if it actually was stirred on the bridge, then Magnus is being used by evil. She asks him to swear to stay in Valhalla and not pursue the sword, but he refuses. He'd rather pick neither side in the eternal war. Ganilla flies away in anger, leaving Magnus to find his own way to dinner without a GPS. Chapter 22. My friends fall out of a tree. 
When Magnus finally finds his way to dinner, his hallmates congratulate him on doing pretty good in the morning's battle, and also for his impressive use of Elf Seder, uh, Elf Magic, which is what that weird energy blast was. The rest of dinner goes smoothly, and then Magnus gets back to his room. He's dreading tomorrow. The day his fate is decided. More than anything, he just wants to get out of here and get justice for his mom. And as if the universe can hear his thoughts, the branches of the tree in his room rustle and two figures drop onto the floor. It's Hearth and Blitz. After Magnus heals Blitz's broken arm, they reveal they've actually been watching over him in the orders of some mysterious, pro-delaying Ragnarok boss. Hearth, or Hearthstone, is an elf, and Blitz, or Blitzen, is a dwarf, also known as a Svartalf, also known as a Dark Elf. Even though they failed to save him from dying, they want him to leave with them to find the sword, and Magnus immediately agrees. They took care of him while he was homeless, and he trusts them completely. They're about to climb back into the world tree and get going, but just then a horrible cry sounds through the room and they have to make a break for it. The squirrel is coming. So Jane, what'd you think of the chapters today? You know, sometimes you read a set of chapters which uh, kind of feel like you handed Rick a wish list of kind of everything that you wanted from where this was going, uh, and you get it back with all the items checked off more or less. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, that's what these chapters were like. These were, these were really good. <laughs> You're saying that, that Rick put on his old Santa suit, and mm-hmm. he said, yo, ho, ho, it's time for, or, ho, 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 it's time for Christmas. Yeah, he got he got his fat little elves to, to whip up some good chapters for us. I think these were good, too. They were so good that you read four of them. We had planned to read six, and you said, we have enough to talk about with four, which I think is, I think is true. Yep, and I'm going to look like a real jackass if we get to like 30 minutes and then run out of shit to talk about. <laughs> you said you had four pages of notes. I think we'll be fine. This is true. Uh, yeah, I, I like these quite a bit too. Uh, the grand arc of the story is playing out kind of in a pretty typical Rick Riordan fashion in a lot of ways, but I think it's being executed on well. We are, I think we are still very much in the territory of, uh, you know, Lightning Thief. Yeah, it's lightning. Like, you get to the camp, you get to Valhalla, you spend a couple of chapters there, figure out what kind of place it is, you know, get a big event, and then you leave. You do uh, a big kind of combat challenge where right at the end you unlock a mysterious power that nobody's ever seen before, uh, and that's kind of a big deal that stops everyone in the tracks for a little while, and that kind of leads to questions about where you come from. Yeah, yeah, it's you're right, it is pretty one-to-one lightning thief in a lot of ways, which is really <laughs> funny, although... It seems to be setting Magnus up as a character kind of differently, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, uh, Magnus seems like uh, he is not going to have his allegiances firmly here, which I am all for. Definitely, yeah. Uh, Although we can discuss sort of the interesting rhetorical ways that's framed uh, Mm -hmm. as we we go ahead. Uh, But let's start with Valhalla's battlefield itself, because I think this is like... They made a fucking Fortnite map, right? (laughs) (laughs) oh it is a little bit fortnite it's it's fortnite it's the hunger game it's battle royale it's like it's a huge map with a bunch of different areas for like all the different environments you could want to have a fight in mm-hmm. uh like i i always when, when i see like depictions of valhalla in media i feel like it's always just like a big flat field where everyone is fighting mm-hmm. uh so i i don't know i thought this was really cool yeah, yeah, there's, like, uh, I think Magnus says, like, there's rolling fields, there's hills, there's a river, there's a village for people who like their warfare more urban. Uh-huh. There's also, apparently, just people running around with assault rifles in Valhalla. 
which is useless, according to Thomas Jefferson Jr., because bullets don't really work on Ein Heer, which is which fascinating. Is fa- yeah, that, that's fascinating. Like, why? Like, it seems like regular weapons otherwise work okay. Is it like, is this a thing about like the modern weapons don't work? Mm-hmm. Or I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, but uh, a big thing that comes up here a couple times is bone steel. The idea of bone steel. Yeah. Is this like our celestial bronze for the book? Do you think? I think it might be that. Yeah, because uh, Thomas Jefferson Jr.'s got a, um, a bayonet for his uh, rifle made out of that, and I think the axe that is used to kill Magnus is bone steel as well. Yeah. So maybe you have to. Maybe you, you can only be killed by bone steel. I have no idea how it works, but. <laughs> the the whole thing is like gruesome but very fun in a weird way it is i know this is like this violence is fairly consequence free like nobody's getting killed permanently here but it i cannot emphasize enough how refreshing it feels after how like sanitized a lot of heroes of olympus felt for there to just be like characters getting hit with cutting weapons and bleeding because they got hit yeah yeah, it's like people aren't being hit with the fl- like. Not everybody is being hit with like the flat of the opponent's sword, right? Yeah. Um, people are getting slashed. Their legs stop working because they're bleeding out. Uh, they're hacked to pieces. Uh, they're shot. They're riddled with arrows. It's it's very violent in a way that you know because it's so consequence free. You can get away with writing it. Um, yeah. But still, kind of surprising i guess to me having like you said come off the backs of heroes of olympus king chronicles and even kind and even percy jackson the olympians i'd say mm-hmm. like like if we go back and like look at how those um the what are they called the um capture the flags were done those yeah. were pretty violent i think we talked about like how the violence in them was done but this is kind of like extrapolating that out to a much larger playing field i suppose yeah definitely it you know, it's not like, uh, this is the real shit for adults or anything, but it does feel like it just, it goes that little bit harder. Maybe in, like, recognition of the fact that, like, Rick knows that his audience is kind of aging up a little bit. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm also, the glee with which everyone fights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how, like, super stoked they are to get killed. Like, people are like, oh, good one, man, you really got me by slicing my head off, you know? Uh, <laughs> like... I'm going back to this. Is this a good way to train, like, soldiers? This is a terrible way to train soldiers. This is, like, what you're teaching them is that, like, they don't need to worry about getting killed. Which is, you know, to a degree you want a soldier to be able to risk that in order to be, like, effective in any way, shape, or form. But also you want them to have some kind of sense of self-preservation. Because, like, keeping your army alive is, like... That's pretty important to winning, especially in like if you're trying to win Ragnarok or something. I think Sun Tzu said that. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to build the perfect machine army, you're looking to, for people who can dissociate themselves enough from being a human being that they like want to stay alive, but also don't care about murdering people and also are okay with putting their lives online, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this seems to me... This seems a bit more like we've got a lot of people. It's kind of quality over quantity. To I don't know. Like we're just yeah, gonna throw I, endless meat puppets at them or something. Yeah, the way it's framed is like getting the getting them used to the horrors of battle, but it really does seem like it's just like training them to fight like completely suicidally and with no like regard for their own safety. 
And I think this is interesting to compare to like other sort of YA battle royale fiction, like I guess Hunger Games, for instance, mm-hmm. where they're there you're using the Hunger Games to portray this very like um it's fucked up that this is happening, isn't it? So society, war, all that stuff, uh-huh. right? Um but there's also you slip into the trap, and this is kind of the classic war movie trap too, of like, isn't it kind of awesome that this action is happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is kind of going, like, full swing into that in a way, where, like, on purpose, where, like, it's it's commentating on the idea of this endless battle by GOAT by, like, yeah, it's so fucked up, right? It is so, like, everyone is having a grand old time uh, just absolutely mutilating each other. And I like that, like, this, this is all happening, and Magnus is in the middle of it, like, thinking, this is fucked, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, he, he is not just, like, like on a surface level horrified by the violence. He is, like, kind of disgusted by the concept of this. It's... Which is just, it's I know, it's, it's interesting to, like, have someone being that critical of, like, the weird military training stuff going on here when, like, that was never really an angle that was broached at, like, uh, Camp Half-Blood or Camp Jupiter. No, definitely, yeah. I... And that's what makes Magnus having healing powers too kind of interesting to me. Mm. Like, if we were looking at previous protagonists, um, we've talked about like Carter is better at defensive magic, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the farthest we've ever gone into like a main character who's like like a guy with a like is socially feminized magic anything? I no, I get what you mean. Uh, and, and Magnus primarily just being a healer is really I don't know. I think that's an interesting angle to look at this book that is all like it's had so much about like conflict and death in it mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that all of valhalla revolves around like hyping yourself up for the big water end all wars yeah uh it's a very funny bit where tj sings the battle hymn of the republic while singing uh, I, th- I i do like that idea that is this just a good way to underscore how like casualized the violence has become that like TJ is like very it describes him like very casually singing that song which was like you know something that presumably during the actual civil war was like being like sung during like actual desperate battles to the death yeah and I think that makes a lot of sense because like it's supposed to be all fun and games but you can also like read into that like he's slipping back into that especially because like he retreats to his old tactics right the yeah. reason they all the reason they all run for the hill is because uh that's the thing you do in the civil war you try and get the hill yeah yeah and everything ha- everyone telling magnus like oh you get used to the pain eventually like not that like it stops happening but you know it, you know it'll you'll keep being hurt forever and eventually you get used to it yeah this is good we we get some care more character knowledge too uh mallory having a crush on halfborn i i i love the um magnus picks up on this and his commentary on it is ah i see now you don't call someone an idiot that many times unless you're really into them and that's that that's such a line that you read and think yeah this is annabeth chase's cousin <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) i and i'm glad that like this is the first time i feel like that isn't really directed at like the main character Mm -hmm. i mean you can argue that like leo isn't the main character of heroes of olympus and that kind of happens with him but like you know he is uh he's a little bit the main character of heroes of olympus at the very least he's one of them uh and 
like this is just like two side characters who have a little romance and i and one of them is you know, and it's the it's the classic rick riordan dynamic in a way that i like uh yeah or like not a romance even but one of them has a crush in a very you know annabethy way um what do you think of magnus's new nickname uh this is like the one thing that i know about boston is it's associated with beans so i was i was gratified to like know what a cultural reference was for once this is fascinating because i i've been to boston and i didn't know about this bean town thing what a what so you know about explain your knowledge of boston to me so my knowledge of boston pre this book is drawn pretty much entirely from like fragmentary memories of like i can't remember which spider-man show it was it was either ultimate spider-man or spectacular spider-man where like he gets sick of being new york superhero for an episode uh and just like fucks off to boston because they're offering him a better deal but they keep like making him do like promotional stuff for beans and making him like eat disgusting beans on camera that's fascinating that's that's it everyone in boston is obsessed with beans in that episode god interesting i i i feel like i've never heard a lot of nicknames for boston uh i'm looking into it now there's the city on a hill uh there's the the puritan city the cradle of liberty there's also the athens of america interesting uh uh, and and of course bean town for the the regional dish of boston baked beans of course Mm -hmm. um is that does is root of the world tree on there uh let me see let me see uh uh yeah it is yeah actually it is uh see it's called it's called the hub which has been developed into the hub of the universe and i guess rick riordan was like wait it's funny that boston is called the hub of the universe how about we make that the plot god that probably is about as deep as he thought about it i also we get uh, a little more evidence a little little extra like characterization of magnus as a like you know a kid who's homeless and doesn't have a lot to his name uh where he talks about like everybody killing each other they're kind of treating it like call of duty uh and just reading that you know for a fact that he's been homeless for two years and has not been like able to play a call of duty game because like when people die in call of duty they are not like good-naturedly saying oh good shot man they are screaming just a string of slurs some of which you've never even heard before at the top of their lungs uh-huh yeah he, <laughs> he has not been online in that way no absolutely not god um who who fucking kills? It's just a guy in uh, an eye patch and red leather armor. This guy's awesome. <laughs> I, he doesn't get brought up again, but I just want to know more about him. Norse motherfuckers with eye patches. Many such cases. Uh, yeah, you're right, huh? What if he he hasn't, he hasn't even lost an eye or anything? He just has. He's just like I want to be like Odin. <laughs> or he just like he just wears the eye patch because he thinks it looks cool. Uh huh. Uh huh. He's been watching Black Sails. Oh, there's no eye patches in Black Sails. Oh my god, there's not. <laughs> you can't name a single character who wears an eye patch, I don't think. I, it's they they don't have eye patches, they don't have parrots. What a shit pirate show. Like <laughs> No, it's all right. John John Silver's got the peg leg. It's it's not all is lost. You're right. You're right. Uh ooh. Uh and then he dies. I love that we're so committed to he only dreams when he gets killed. Yes, it's really good. I just, if they, if they like, even if there's the exact same amount of dreams, if, if it's just that he keeps <laughs> dying over and over again, um, I, I would still like it, I think. I think, listen, if we're having to endure constant exposition dreams, I think that 
the trade-off for that being that Magnus has to die in increasingly comical ways every time it happens, I think that's worth it. I I agree, yeah. Uh, and it is Loki. You were right. It was it was Loki. We fucking called it. Good good work there. Uh, you you get the the good girl points and <laughs> I. This is a great Loki. Now that we're seeing more of him, I think. This is one of the things where I like I feel I feel like everything on my wish list was fulfilled. This was exactly what I wanted. Say more about that. Uh, I was, you know, I was worried that we were just going to get like unambiguously evil scheming mastermind Loki, and instead, what the presentation we get in this chapter is of like a dude with his own agenda that sometimes intersects with Magnus's, I and mean, you can see them being allies on a couple of things but is very much, like, just off being, like, chaotic and trickstery and doing his own thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, he isn't... He's not here to, like, control Magnus in that way. Exactly, I mean, He is, but he's not here to, like, literally be like, I'm your patron, I'm giving you orders. And he's mm-hmm. also not here to, like, antagonize him outright. Like, he's doing a little bit of both. Um, he's and, just being a bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's eating Pop-Tarts and oh my my favorite moment in here is when he's just talking to Magnus normally and then like his face screws up and he like twists his neck around and screams like louder than anything <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, sorry, the poison got in my eyes." And it's revealed that he's actually like being tortured right now. Yeah, he's still in hell getting the fucking uh, serpent venom sprayed in his eyes, and presumably his wife has fucked off for now and isn't holding the bowl to catch it. God. I I, I just really like that detail. Like, this is a thing that in a lot of previous series, it's like gods can be in many places at once. We never really saw that that much, right? Yeah. This feels like it's actually delivering on that idea. Yeah, it's 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 nice to see this actually being like used in an interesting way that isn't just like Dionysus is hanging around in like some shitty bar and also like fighting someone so that mm-hmm. you can do an exposition done to Percy. Yeah, which I we you know that was a good scene, but that was a good scene, but that was like the most that concept had been used before. I like the idea that he's just been wearing that. We we were theorizing like why is he wear the Red Sox jersey? I like I like that it's proposed here that he's just doing it to make Magnus like be, trust him more. And I like that it has the opposite effect because Magnus twigs that instantly and like tells Loki to stop doing that. <laughs> uh, we get some more classic like Rick Riordan name pronunciation things where they mm. just have a they have a big like back and forth about how to pronounce the name of Odin's throne. Hlitzkalf, I believe. Hmm. I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> I don't think I I don't I didn't write it in my notes because it was too difficult to spell, let alone say. Well, it's like lid scalp, but you put a h at the beginning, and you you put a f at the at the stop. Lid scalp. There we go. Perfect. We go. Yeah, you you basically did it right. Uh, this is so. Also, Fenrir confirmed. Called it. You, you did call it. I think that one was a bit easier. I'm not going to give you as many points for it. <laughs> what do you mean that the the conflict was obviously going to be about Ragnarok from the start? <laughs> I I I'm fine with this because there is no other way it could have gone. This is the only kind of story Rickard knows how to tell. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's not true. He's well, maybe he stopped. What if the final Trace Navare book is about him like trying to stop the end of the world? That'd be kind of awesome. <laughs> no, that would that would actually kind of rip. Uh, some but- some small time criminal gang has got uh, t- smuggled a nuclear device into San Antonio. <laughs> god yeah no let's make it happen um he has to he has to gather all his previous allies 
uh, sad woman, uh, sad woman who sings, uh, Ralph, Ralph. Uh, and of course, don't forget, um, his brother and also, uh, the canceled professor. <laughs> God, I can't wait until we read the one about the canceled professor. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do it soon. Probably. Speaking of people who got canceled, uh-huh. uh, apparently Sam, uh, did not get orders from Loki to bag Magnus. That was someone else. Yeah. My my current theory is that that's whoever um, uh, Blitz and uh, Hoth are working for. Yeah, I assume it's all the same mysterious benefactor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they, they say that they're not working for Sam, but they don't say they're not working with Sam in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even maybe they don't know about her at all. You got any uh-huh. predictions of who it might be? fucking i don't know it's maybe it's odin <laughs> he's gone right could be him he's he's fucked off it could be yeah i can see that um and you know loki was like say hello to the all father for me but he wasn't there at valhalla so where could magnus see him he sees him when he meets the mysterious guy Hmm. might also be one of the vanir i don't know yeah yeah now you you tricked me i think you described all the gods as vanir before i think yeah i i fucked up and used that as an umbrella term we're we're issuing a correction i'm issuing a correction on jane's behalf uh i'm sorry she fucked up all of my points are being taken away for mythological knowledge it's it's sadly true um (laughs) and this is where we get into like Something we were really talking about a lot by the end of Heroes of Olympus, fate and destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is brought up here that Loki says that you can't change the big picture, but you can change the details. That's how you rebel against destiny. Um, and I, I'm really interested in this idea as compared to like where Heroes of Olympus ultimately an- l- landed, which was like you just have to lean in and do what the fates say. Yeah. Right? Uh, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think about this? I, I'm i very interested in this because there is like a a subtle but very distinct difference, I think, between like just generally how prophecy is handled in like the Camp Half-Blood stuff. Well, like with prophecy and destiny in those books, you are always looking for like, all right, what is the, the twist in how this is written that will like dictate how it actually turns out? And how do you kind of either game that or like just kind of accept it and go along with it? And I think, like, I find it very interesting that, like, we still have these, like, mostly set-in-stone prophecies, but the attitude is much less about, like, close reading it to figure out where the exploits are, and more about, like, finding gray areas and just, like, hammering on those as hard as possible to try and, like, shift circumstances in your favor. Like, you're just looking for stuff that they haven't specified and going for that, which I think is just, like... I don't know, that's interesting. I think it's also very appropriate for, like, a chaos god to be the one who is saying, like, yeah, just, like, fucking throw shit at the wall and see if that gets past it. Yeah, we've talked about chaos a lot on here, too, and that's, you know, chaos. It's, like, the trying to constantly shift things into different states, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think the idea that there is this big picture, and that big, like, you can say that about kind of anything. Like, we live in a universe. The universe is the big picture, but you can change Mm -hmm. the details of what's happening. Like, you can get... I'm interested in exploiting that granularity, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although, maybe Magnus just stops Ragnarok. <laughs> it doesn't happen this time. I I really like this idea that, 
Like, Loki knows, like, the part that he's, like, destined to play in Ragnarok, uh, but is, like, still actively working to try and prevent it. And, like, I'm curious if that's a case of, like, he knows that, like, you know, no matter what happens at Ragnarok, everyone fucking dies and it doesn't work out for anyone. And he's, like, trying to stave it off for as long as possible because of that. And, like, what will, like, compel him to do that if he doesn't want to? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, he's rebelling against going against the gods in a weird way. Yeah. Like, that. that's that's such a, like, I don't know. That's so, like, not... Like, he's saying, like, oh, they're pushing me into this, but I don't want to just follow, you know, uh, follow the follow whatever was written before. I think that's really mm-hmm. cool. I, I, I'm liking this beginning for the character a lot. Yeah, definitely. He's a, like he, and he's also very distinct from like previous sort of tricksters we've seen. You know, your your sets, your other guys. I think I think he is a bit setny so far. Uh huh. Maybe a little less like outwardly wacky. You know, he's not fucking changing himself to look like Elvis or something. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I I kind of want him to though. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I like his look right. I don't know, just like long haired guy with a bunch of. Fu- he looks like a biker a little bit. Yeah, I can I can see that. Or like he a guy who's really into heavy metal, mm-hmm. and pop tarts. Famously, also sew their own mouths shut. I, th- I think that is a ritual done by some heavy metal likers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of a, a a practice done in order to like, you know, you you close off one hole so the music all goes in the other holes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Don't know. Uh, <laughs> Um, and part of me is mourning the idea of, like, Magnus running away with a sword and him already having the item and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I don't uh, know. It seems like it'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, l- listen, this is, this is, once again, we're in Lightning Thief Town again, uh, and you, you take the bad with the good, which means that we do have, like, the, the object of destiny that we need to get a hold of, and we do get a ticking clock introduced for how long we have to get it. Eight days. Eight days, which is, you know, one day longer than they usually get. Did Sam's mom fuck a patient? <laughs> oh, I guess she did. Is that, like, okay, ethically? I I think it's more okay when it's, like... It's, like, just someone who has had, like, a physical injury. Like, you know, after they recover and you maybe, like, keep in touch. That's, like... It's not great, but there are circumstances under which it's worse. For some reason, the way I'm picturing it is that, like... Loki has one aspect of himself out and about and that's like the conscious part of himself and another part of him that is like I don't know constantly slipping in and out of comas or something to like represent the part of himself that's being so battered and bruised so I'm picturing like him like waking up and being like oh a sexy doctor uh and I don't know a very like romance novel slash porno scenario I guess (laughs) I don't know you know what I mean I get what you mean. I mean, the the only example of this I can think of off the top of my head is like I think Ernest Hemingway fell in love with his nurse one time. Okay, and that wor- that worked out great for everyone involved. And I do like the idea that he leaves Magnus with here. Like you can you can choose if you want to to follow your dad's fucking doomed legacy, basically. <laughs> Which I'm sure that Magnus will do, but you know it's nice that we're pretending he has a choice. Interest. I was like, well, of course he won't do it. Uh, ah, interesting. But no, the, the I guess the thing he probably has is like 
do you want to find your mom, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the trajectories of the story. There is a scenario where he's like, no, I'm I'm I've moved on, like I've grieved, but I it's interesting. I I have no idea where this will go at this point, so I can only speculate grossly. Uh, my speculation at this point is that the book will end with him retrieving his mother in some way, shape, or form. There's a good chance. Because lightning yeah. thief. Yeah. Uh, why did Ganella knock on a door to a room that she expected to be empty? Yeah, that is very strange. It like she was clearly like surprised to see Magnus like up, up and about, and was like trying to get into his room for some reason, maybe to borrow his baby book of Norse mythology. I don't know. Maybe I I have to assume that this is you know a mystery that'll get resolved later. Mm. Uh, Ganella's working for someone. Ganella's up to something. Um, I Ganella is like finding fodder to send him to the dishwasher mines. <laughs> it's where you mine for dishwashers. Uh huh. And send uh, That's where I was found. Yeah. <laughs> I beep that. <laughs> that's a. No, I have to wonder, like, washing dishes for centuries straight, like, are in her yard just like a... Uh-huh. You would need so much moisturizer. Are in her yard just like immune to repetitive stress injuries? <laughs> I guess they I, heal from them, but, like, that that takes a psychological toll. I think, yeah, it does. Um, I, I, lo- I love this little tour of Valhalla. I, I know you were saying... Th- you were saying about Ganilla. I like how, like, not working for somebody and up to something she is. Yeah. Like, she clearly has an agenda when she's dragging Magnus around, but she's, like, very open and upfront about it. Well, I think she's up to something, but it might be for herself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think she's up to something on behalf of, like, a mysterious agent, or not necessarily. I... She's very... It, this whole part is about softening Ganilla a bit, I feel like. Like... Yeah. Like, we were presented with this entire thing of, like, she's this hard-nosed jerk, she's a real asshole, a bully, and now she's, you know, getting her little arm burned, and Magnus has to heal her. I I love the chapter title for this one. <laughs> yes, it's really good. We're back. We're so fucking back with these chapter titles. I'm so happy that we have chapter titles back, because they, like, I mean, they're funny, and also I feel like they're a really, like, neat little, like, way to add a bit of characterization. Like, the ones in the PGO books were always, like, very exasperated because, like, Percy was dealing, like, thrown into this world. Magnus's ones, I feel like, have more of, like, a glib sense of humor about them. Uh-huh. Because, like, he is a guy who always seems to be engaging in some kind of gallows humor. Definitely, yeah. It's how he copes. It's how he copes. Mm-hmm. What, what is the... What is the Valhalla food court like, I wonder? Because they already have this huge fucking dining hall. This is where you can get meat that isn't from a big whale and a spit roast. I probably. I'm. I'm just like because they say like, oh, it's the gift shop, and then it's like the world's hugest Macy's. Uh, so I. I have to wonder if it's just like there's one of every single restaurant in there. There's one of every single restaurant, and you can even uh go to an IKEA to get the meatballs. God, do you think they uh that Valhalla and Wendy's still sources their tomatoes from slave labor? It's Valhalla, of course they do. Yeah. Uh, uh, put, putting an Ikea store in here is definitely low-hanging fruit, but I'm not going to pretend that it didn't amuse me. Oh, was there really an Ikea store? Okay. Maybe it's a localization thing. I don't know, because it, it was definitely in my copy. Let me check. Let me check. Because I, 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 first of all, I didn't even clock that you were making like a Swedish sort of joke. Just like the idea, <laughs> of, the idea of them having Ikea. 
And then it turns out I wasn't making the Swedish joke. Rick Ryden was. Okay, yeah, a clothing boutique with the latest in Viking fashions and an Ikea outlet. Naturally. <laughs> What's so natural about it, Magnus? Dumb. Stupid. Still kind of funny, I think. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, And then the, the whole fucking cosmology gets, like, upended on us. Uh-huh. This, this reveal that, like... Yeah, the reason people keep saying you came to the wrong place is because there's literally a different place for children of the Vanir. Like, there's a whole other realm for when you die. That's interesting. That's like if fucking, I don't know, just this idea of, like, I went to the wrong afterlife. That's immediately so compelling to, like, how do you even get out of that situation? How do you fix that? I mean, it's, it's a moot point now. The Vania did have their own afterlife, but it was actually blown up 21 years ago by Cathedra forces during the uh, Vanadis incident. <laughs> uh, I Okay, which Magnus Chase characters are which, uh, are which G-Witch characters? Gunilla is Goel, I think. Okay. Does that make Sam Suleta? Actually, yeah, that fits. That kind of fits. <laughs> Anyway, the the joke, because we haven't said it yet, is that uh, the Vanir afterlife is named Folkvagna, which was the name of the station from the G-Witch prologue. I forgot about that, I'll admit. <laughs> I, I, was just, I was just rolling with you. I was just like, yeah, J- Jane's saying something about Gundam. I'll continue. <laughs> it's a good name. It's a Folkvanger. It's cool. It's a good name. Which I feel like this is the biggest stretch of like thing that Magnus mispronounces. He says like Volkswagen, which is nothing like it. No, not even close. But yeah, I just, I enjoy that this is like, I don't know, it's making the universe more complicated and a really interesting, it makes the whole mythology feel a lot more like gigantic and huge and celestial. This is like, it definitely feels like it's kind of punching up in a kind of different weight class to the other mythologies. Like, the Kane Chronicles kind of hints at there being more to like what the gods are up to than just like the terrestrial plane. But we never really see that. And the Olympians obviously, again, just live on an invisible floating mountain above Manhattan. Whereas this is, like, Magnus gets dragged up here and he can, like, see bits of the fucking world tree. Yeah. And, like, the the entire universe beyond Midgard. It's a very cool scene. It's, like, the description is great. It's great. And I I also love uh, the detail that we get established about uh, Valhalla here. Uh Uh-huh. Which is, I don't know if I'm just a sucker for these kind of narratives, but the idea that just, like, the gods have fucked off and we don't know what to do and we're just kind of fumbling along with what kind of information we have left, uh, always very compelling to me. I like that. No, definitely. Two years ago, all the gods fucking went to sleep and left. Like, that that's cool. Like, we're, traje- we're on a trajectory that we have no idea about anymore. It's inherently compelling. I don't know. Like, I guess that's just, like, a human condition thing, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, just like it's interesting when there are like it like it's true of the real world that forces are happening in nature that will that are throwing things along a certain path Mm -hmm. but but we're just trying our best out here yeah i think it like it it helps to like soften how like obviously wrong ganilla is later on when she's like talking to magnus about like wanting him to like stay around where you know, she's not being, like, antagonistic to what he wants because, like, she and the Thanes are just, like, evil, mustache-twirling villains. They are, like, you know, they're people who are working with an incomplete set of information who have lost the thing that has guided them for centuries and are, like, 
making bad calls because of that. And that's, you know, this this is the kind of, like, more complex, like, factions and groups of characters that I kind of wanted from Kane Chronicles and it kept denying me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also, we get, because, like, the ravens are circling overhead the whole time. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, we are... We are constantly being reminded to, that something is happening, even though everything is sort of beyond their reach right now. It's it's good. Um, I also, during this whole scene, kept, like, hoping Ganilla brought him up here to push him over the side. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Just, like, I'm going to confront him about this, and if he says no, I'm going to kill him forever. Oh, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even thinking it was like a kill him forever. Just like, uh, it'll be quick if you get back to your room this way, shove. That also would have been good, but I was just imagining like him <laughs> like, all right, are you going to stay here in Valhalla? No? Go into the fucking eternity of, dark, of gray, right? <laughs> Instead, he chooses not to choose, which is, you know, it, it's really the most valiant choice. It's the most valiant of choices. Uh, we learn that Frey is the god of rational centrism. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so directly that in a really funny way. Like I don't have to listen to either of your extreme viewpoints. I can simply be in, I can I can be in the center. Uh. <laughs> Which I don't really there isn't really two coherent sides in that way. Like there kind of is like there's the you can kind of be like okay, there's the pro the pro delaying Ragnarok faction and the anti delaying Ragnarok the pro hastening Ragnarok faction. Mhm. But that's not really anything either. Like, what choice is Magnus going to make there? Like, I guess he could be like, all right, I'm hastening Ragnarok now, but that doesn't feel like like anything, you know what I mean? I think it would be very funny if he goes completely off the rails and decides that he's going to hasten Ragnarok. It would be cool. How does he find his way back to the dinner anyway? I think he, he just, like, he wanders around until just, like, uh, some random Einherji just, like, points him in the right direction, right? Yeah, the guy, the guy who had just gotten the gentleman's pedicure, as Rick puts it. Mm-hmm. Never misses an opportunity to talk about people's feet, does Rick Riordan? <laughs> no, no, he really doesn't. <laughs> um, he's a, he's an old happy Santa. He can do whatever he wants, I guess. <laughs> uh, ho, ho, ho. I see that you've you got your toe, toe, toes there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we learn about a little bit about elf magic. Why I don't know why he can do that, but cool. Uh... I bet it's because his mom was an elf. You think so? I feel like the 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 description of it keeps being like, oh yeah, she looked just like fucking Tinkerbell, or like some kind of mythical creature. I. But then I guess actually no, that wouldn't make any sense because then like. What would that, that mean about the Chase that, family? Yeah, the rest of the Chase family are also elves. Which would make it extremely funny if Annabeth had elf powers as well as demigod powers, and also those Egyptian god powers she had for a while. God, she'd be awesome that way. <laughs> triple threat, most OP character, Annabeth, OC, o- o- OP, please nerf, etc. Truly the most OC do not steal. <laughs> uh, if you think about it, all of these characters are sort of just Rick Riordan's OCs. I don't know why he's shoving them into the sort of established narrative. By... <laughs> Blitz and Hearth are back. Yeah, they're back. Uh, I enjoyed that Gunilla, um, like, was insisting to Magnus that they had to be, like, mythological creatures, because, you know, why else would two homeless guys, like, look after him? Yeah, that's kind of fucked up. I mean, this, right, this does strike me as something she would say, to be honest. Yeah, we're talking about, oh, you know, this chapter chapter really, you know, kind of flushes out Gunilla a bit. She's made to seem a bit more human. Uh, you know, she's still, you know, the way we described her before. 
Oh wait, we we missed we missed another thing about Gunilla. What's that? Uh, which is the um, when Magnus is like trying to say, you know, maybe maybe Sam wasn't that bad. Maybe you should give her a bit more of the benefit of the doubt. And she has a moment where she's like, no, I trusted a child of Loki before, and looks off dramatically to the left. Anyway, changing the subject, and it's like very obvious that like her extremely fucked up prejudice against Sam is going to be like written off as like because she got burned by a bad experience with Loki before. Oh, that would make sense actually. It's pretty obvious, you're right. Yeah. I maybe she had a grand romance or something. I just I don't know. I feel like sometimes you can write a relatively sympathetic character as just like having a shitty prejudice and then having to get over that instead of like giving them an excuse for it. <laughs> definitely like we're gonna meet this like i don't know the the daughter of loki who ganilla had had a romance with and you know we're gonna say like oh you know she was just so burned after this happened that uh you know she she was racist and now she's not racist anymore she just had to do something very closely analogous to racism to sam yeah and they are magical creatures to be clear uh which is a bit interesting especially with um blitz he looked like a short, well-groomed African-American cowboy hitman, according to Magnus. Which is a cool description. Uh, like that—that's that, a—I'm sure that's a cool type of character. But like, he's also like he's the funny dwarf, kind of like Bez was, right? He's a uh, bit Bez. Oh, we also missed the guy who on um uh the the field in Valhalla who is just wearing like speedos, and that guy also made me think of Bez. Yeah, this is Bez Splitten too, uh, and. <laughs> He's also the the first black character I think in this book, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he is uh, a Svartalf or a uh, Fart Elf or a Dark Elf, um, apparently. Uh huh. Which interesting you know, choice. Uh huh. <laughs> um, I the the whole like Dark Elf thing has a very complicated like history and like modern, especially probably also old ancient stuff too, but like modern fantasy often goes for like the racial like racialized sort of dark elf which again it, rick also seems to have immediately gone there Do, what does he say here he says like they're a, a different type of dwarf or something like that who are are they shunned by the other ones they're a different type of dwarf who are kind of shunned and also like misnamed as elves sometimes yeah it's eh. also his name is blitzen and hearth's name is fucking hearthstone <laughs> well when did hearthstone come out was this pre-2015 hearthstone was definitely pre-2015 do you think rick was playing that on his phone during that showing of hamilton <laughs> maybe uh hearthstone was 20 oh 2014 no oh, i feel like it was older um all right maybe one of his kids was getting into it or something mm. uh it was a little shout out you know i i don't know i i just you know, I'm sure a Hearthstone, you know, that's a real thing and all, but it just feels so, like, pointed. Uh-huh. Love when brands just kind of overtake normal-ass words. Well, especially because we've talked before about in the Son of Magic how much that felt like it was fucking World of Warcraft. Did we? Yeah, how the Son of Magic was just, like, all the magic was, like, World of Warcraft magic. Oh, yeah. And now that now we're going to another Blizzard thing, I guess. And now we've got Hearthstone, we've got Call of Duty earlier in the chapter, really sharing out a lot of Activision Blizzard uh, properties here. God, he's, he's Rick Riordan's favorite company, Activision Blizzard. <laughs> Don't sue us. 
I have questions about Hoth in this scene. Go ahead. Uh, can Hoth, like, I guess Hoth can just, like, lip-read, like, exceptionally well. Cause I mean, he's an elf. Nobody is, like, doing sign language at him, and he still seems to be, like, following along with what's being said. Yeah, I mean, that's not, like, uncommon, right? Like, there are a lot of deaf people who don't know sign language. That's true. I just, I, I don't know. It seems weird to me in a scene where, like, Blitz is, like, falling out of a tree and tumbling over people and, like, shouting in pain, and Magnus is, like, rushing around trying to heal him. Like, Hearth can keep track of all that. I don't know. He's it, Maybe he's an elf, and he's gotten very good at it over the years. Over, uh-huh. like, hundreds of years. Probably. Yeah, I, I do like that we're continuing with, like, he doesn't, like, he can't suddenly speak, right? Uh, yeah, no, that would suck. Or, like, he can't suddenly, like, hear or, like, he can't, like, he doesn't switch. I Maybe this would have been, he doesn't, like, switch to elf sign language either. He doesn't switch to ESL. Um, <laughs> he, uh, ELFSL. Uh, he, he's just continuing to use American sign language. Uh, there are little tidbits about like here's how like you know snippets about like you know it, he's not literally making signs for every single one of these words it's sort of a grammar based thing with you know he uses these signs and they sort of flow together like to mm-hmm. you can interpret them in these way I think that's that's cool you know a little little teacher moment yeah ah yeah, yeah. uh, the squirrel a big evil death squirrel very Rick Riordan I. We don't know much about the squirrel yet, but it's a good cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm sure this has some kind of basis in, like, actual mythology, but, like, you know, that this is the kind of thing that he would, like, pick and play up as hard as he can. Oh, sure, yeah. I guess, like, Hearth and Blitz here are, like, weird for, like, are they going to be his companions the whole time? That would be an exceptionally, like, wacky squad for a Rick Riordan book. That would be a very wacky squad. I I was kind of anticipating that it was going to be, like... Maybe Magnus adventuring with his whole mates and maybe Sam also. I have a different theory. I think I think Sam might come back, but I have a theory about what are, what's going to happen with his hall mates. Uh-huh. I think they're going to be sent out to fetch him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd there, be cool. There was a moment earlier where it was like, I think in the chapter just before we, just before this set of chapters, where it was discussed, like, what are the duties of the Inheriar when they're sent out to the, uh, the like, the to Midgard? And one of them was tracking down rogues and like Magnus stops and is like rogues and they don't really explain it, but he, you know, Oh he, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He lingers on it for a moment. I think Magnus is going to become a rogue in that way. Yeah. No, that, that would be very cool. And then there'll obviously be a bit near the end of the book where like Magnus convinced them that they need to switch sides and join him. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think as they've been established, they're pretty cool. Like antagonists for a book, like, mm. like side anti or like, you know, a type of antagonist. Like we get, we have just enough to like understand how all these characters are distinct, like sort of their relationships, uh, why it's like scary to get into a fight with like X or Halfborn. Yeah, like we we've had this like getting Magnus to fight with them was a good opportunity to like show how dangerous they are on the battlefield. Oh, uh, the the one other thing from the Ganilla chapter session. Oh yeah. Uh, I just I think it's very interesting that like the place where uh, she says that like you can get her favorite view from. Like, Magnus climbs up there, and the first thing he notices is that he can see down into the feast hall and, like, see all the, like, servants running around. And, like, I don't know. I'm interested in, like, how hard we're committing to the idea of, like, Valhalla as, like, a paradise as long as you're not part of the underclass. That has very much not been a feature. That's something, like, the other books have, like, consciously dodged with their places. 
at Camp Half Blood, all the like cleaning and uh, food preparation is done by like you know spirits who just seem to be like happy to be doing what they're doing, whereas like. I don't know, we're zeroing in quite a lot on this like servant class stuff. Yeah, no. Here we've got Valkyries who are doing the like the waiting. We've got uh, we've got like in her yard who are punished to be like you know the bellboys and the fucking dishwashers. I think this is like a it's set. It's I I really like how like it's getting more focused in that way. Yeah. I also hope we come back to Valhalla sooner than later. Like I want us to like keep stopping in here. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a cool setting so far, and as with all the cool settings in these books, I really hope that it's not just going to be fucking sidelined every time. Yeah, you know, we're we're, we're there at the beginning and end of every book for a few chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I don't know. I I would because we talked before about like it would be cool if one of the books was just entirely set at the location. Like, we, I think we we're hoping that for Sun and Neptune, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that could be interesting if that happened here. But also, if Rick Riordan did that, would he have enough material to make one of his, you know, Camp Half-Blood classified, you know, like, uh, style, like, side books for, like, uh, Valhalla Uncovered, see all Uh, of the side stories and details? It's called Nine from the Nine Realms. I've seen copies of it floating around. Yes, yes. I, (laughs) I, I assume we'll have to read that at some point. Oh, of course. I think there was one of those for... Kane Chronicles 2, but I feel like it probably wasn't important enough for us to read. I thought that was the Demigods and Magicians one. Oh no, because th- no, those were in um, Heroes of Olympus books mostly, weren't No, yeah, so there's... It's like the house, the Brooklyn House Confidential, I think. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should circle back around and do that someday. Maybe. I If it's just, like, bullshit, then you know... <laughs> If it's just the fucking word searches. Brooklyn House Magician's Manual. It's a, it's illustrated by Carter, and there are quizzes, stories, and insights about ancient Egyptian deities, the duot, and a primer, a primer on how it all works. Uh, it doesn't seem to have any like stories in it, which I think is usually the trajectory we go to for one yeah. of these. Like we didn't read like the. Percy Jackson tells you all about the the Greek myths, right? Mm-hmm. Although I do kind of want to read that eventually. It seems kind of fun. Yeah, we could get right into that. Man, I I I'm enjoying the level of fucking like mental degradation I'm experiencing with the Kane Chronicles. Where like because I am not seeing the word Brooklyn House written out properly like every week anymore, uh, I my my brain has like actually regressed to the point where like whenever you say that phrase to me. Like, the, the word that pops into my head is, like, Brooklyn, H-A-U-S, all one word. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> not cishet? Not cishet. Ah, uh, fuck. Who's not cishet this I, week? I got one. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Magnus. Magnus fucking... Magnus spots that Ikea. He zeroes in on it instantly, and I think it's because he wants a blahage. I think so. Yeah, Transgeneral Magnus is real. Who will I do? I think Loki. Well, no, okay. I mean... <laughs> I mean, always a solid pick. A solid pick for sure. I don't think we've done Loki yet. I'll say Loki because... Kind of gay to be going around your life just covered in signs of your, like, constant BDSM torture. <laughs> he may as well be wearing a leather harness right now. 
you cannot tell me that there isn't something inherently queer about like the disrespect of authority that he's doing by just like lounging on the illusion of Odin's throne and like stuffing uncooked pop tarts into his mouth. No, there really is. Yeah. <laughs> Did we already do Loki? Am I forgetting this? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. God, I could go for some pop tarts right now, honestly. <laughs> but instead, I think I'll go for uh, a, just a tasty bite of our intro and outro music, which is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. And you can chase that with our cover-up, which is by Vera at Ensbeth underscore N on Twitter. Afterwards, you can play along. You can, you know, of course, with that, with food and drink, of course, how are you going to have any of that without YouTube video? And you can just watch <laughs> a YouTube video of me saying uh, that uh, you can, we are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. Um, we, actually, you know what? Yeah, wa- go watch the YouTube po- the Mon- Moonshot Podcast Network YouTube videos. We got some good stuff. There was a there was a stream that was ranking all the Neopets, a, a bracket with the, to make, decide the best Neopet earlier. Also, if you want to support us, you can go and uh, to our, any of our websites. We got co-host Twitter, Tumblr, all that stuff. Un- Unwise Girls. Uh, Maybe we have a Blue Sky now as well. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, well, most of those places you can find us posting about our new episodes, visual companions, updates when episodes might be late or, you know, not come out for a week, shit posts, <laughs> various things like that. Also, you can support us by going to your favorite podcast app, leaving a five-star rating interview. You can tell a friend about us. We love, love, love that one. You can join our Discord server also just to hang out. We've got that link in the Twitter. Um, and you can... Go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Certified Chaser. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Midguardian and all of our bonus content. If you have enjoyed listening to us talking about this military camp where like children are like trained to be like hor- completely desensitized to the horrors of war, to the point where they are like completely like detached from the violence that they are doing, uh, you should tune into the bonus show and listen to us talk about Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. That's a really exciting one. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. We've we've done the first three episodes. We're gonna keep doing it until we're done. And for five dollars a month, you can get the Discord roll of Thor's Hammered, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every single episode. Oh my god, they've updated the interface like while we were talking. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, they got the new logo right. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, that looks like shit. Oh God. It looks like a comma. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> For as long as this shit heap website is still functional, uh, this week we'd like to thank uh, I Love Sam, He's Great, uh, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. and their amazing friends, the Actual Play Podcast that steals. What does that mean? That means that we take stories from corporations and come back and tell our own fanfic-inspired actual plays with them. We do things like a Star Wars podcast that takes place 300 years after The Last Jedi. 
What if any Zoids media was good? We tell stories in those spaces that are better than the ones that the corporations tell us because we're not fucking cowards! Please, come join us at Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends to hear a plethora of wonderful stories every once in a while on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. Hosted by me, Riley Hopkins.